Let us now hear the holy law of God as we find it in Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And when asked the greatest of all the commandments, the Lord Jesus said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And the second is like unto it that you must love your neighbor as you love yourself. And on those two great commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And in response to the reading of God's law, let us sing together from 236, from Psalm 119.
When confronted with the law of God, we recognize our sin, our failures, our transgressions. But we do also confess that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. And we do so because God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let us now bow our heads and our hearts together as we seek the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. There is no other name like unto thy name, a name that reveals to us who thou art, the one true and living God, a God who is one, but a God that is in three persons, holy and blessed Trinity. And as we worship God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, we do so acknowledging that the only way that we can acceptably worship thee is through the mediation of thy Son, that one who in eternity was set to be the only redeemer of God's elect, that one that was commissioned, ordained in that council of eternity to be the only mediator between God and men. So it is in Jesus' name that we now come into thy presence, acknowledging that it is through his perfect life of righteousness, satisfying every demand of the law, and then taking upon himself the penalty and the curse of the broken law in behalf of his people, that he shed his blood and with that shed blood, he has opened up this way of access for us into the very throne room of heaven above. So it is not a vain thing for us to worship. It's not a vain thing for us to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, that one who is our mediator, our prophet, who reveals to us the perfect will of God, that one who is our priest, that represents us even now at the right hand of God, ever living to make intercession for us. And as our king, that one who rules all but has conquered his people by grace. And the day will come when he conquers every enemy with the rod of iron. So we come, O Lord, in the name of Jesus. And we pray that thou would look to him, that one that is even now seated, Exalted at thy right hand, look to him and see the names of his people upon his shoulders and over his heart. And he has flashing from his brow holiness unto the Lord. And for his sake, hear us and answer our prayers and our petitions. We are grateful, Lord, for this Sabbath day that thou hast given to us. A day that has been set aside for worship a day that's been set aside as a relief from the very curse of sin upon this old world. What a gift it is. And we pray, Lord, that as we gather together in corporate worship on this part of the Sabbath day, that thou would be with us. A place of rest. And to be in the place of rest spiritually is to be indeed where the Lord is. So still our hearts. Still our hearts, O Lord, make us sensitive in these moments to the reality of thy presence with us. Christ has so promised that he would be with his church, 
We think of that scene in Revelation as he's walking in the very midst of the candlesticks, those lampstands, in the very presence of his people. So, Lord, give us that spiritual sensitivity to know that as we gather together in the name of Jesus for these worship times on this Sabbath day, that Christ is here in the midst. Lord, we pray that with our reverence, with our adoration, with our worship, that the whole Godhead would be pleased with the meditations of our heart. So still us, Lord, let us seek thee together. Let us unite our hearts to seek thy name, knowing that as we seek thee with all of our hearts, that thou indeed will be found of us. Unite our hearts even now to fear thy name, to be aware, to be conscious of the reality of God. How easy it is sometimes just to be taken up with our creeds and our confessions. We know what we're supposed to believe, but yet so often, Lord, we do not live in the reality of what we confess to believe. Lord, we believe that thou art with us, so let us conduct ourselves today. Let us worship in spirit and in truth. We need thy help even to do that. Our spirits are willing, but our flesh is so often weak. But again, as we have commenced our worship hour, we have made that confession that our help is in the name of the Lord that has made the heaven and the earth. So help us, Lord, to worship. Help us to have our minds that are fixed and stayed upon spiritual things. And we pray that the word of God that will be read as a means of grace would be attended by the Spirit of God and that it would be even in the reading of thy word, that which is a comfort, that which is a blessing and admonition to thy people. And as the word is expounded, Lord, let it be a word in season for us. May the Spirit of God guide us into all truth. It's the promise that we have in the word that believers have that gift of the Spirit whereby the Spirit will teach spiritual things to spiritual people. Lord, we need that spiritual help today. Keep us from simply the words of man and the thoughts of man, but let us hear and understand. Thus saith the Lord, the God of heaven. So we commit this worship hour into thy hands, O Lord. Speak to us, let thy word be in season. Let thy word have free course and let it be glorified here in this sanctuary today. And we lift up our needs. Lord, we pray for all of our concerns. We have private concerns that only thou dost know. But we have a throne of grace. And we have one there at thy right hand that has been touched with all the feeling of our infirmities that can help us in the time of our need and our anxieties. So we cast our cares. We cast our concerns to the throne of grace. So we pray, Lord, for this congregation. We pray, Lord, that thou would be pleased to use them for the furtherance of the kingdom of God in this community. Let them be the salt of the earth. Let them be the light that bears witness to the one true light, a light that exposes the darkness round about and the evil therein. Lord, use this church and use every faithful gospel witness as a means of advancing thy kingdom right across this old world. For Christ has promised that he would build his church and not even the gates of hell could prevail 
and could withstand the advancing of the church of Christ. We pray for our nation. Lord, we live in distressing days. We live in discouraging days from every human perspective. We live in days where it appears that wickedness has the upper hand, where truth has fallen in the streets, where justice and equity cannot enter into those same streets. Lord, we pray that in these dark days that thy will would be done, that thy kingdom would come, And we pray, O Lord, that as thy will is done here on earth as it is in heaven, that thy name indeed would be glorified. There is so much hatred to thee, so much hatred and vitriol and hostility that is being directed to the church that is so dear to the Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray that thou would come, that thou would show us something of a spiritual renewal and a spiritual revival. We pray for those that are in leadership over us, those that seem to be so bent on taking this country in directions that are contrary to thy word. Lord, thou canst convert, thou canst turn the hearts of the most wicked and the most ungodly into thy servants. We think of that old Nebuchadnezzar, what a wicked and pagan king he was, but yet described so often in thy word as thy servant, that one that was raised up to accomplish thy purpose, and Lord, thou did a spiritual work in him. Lord, thou canst do it. Thou canst do it in our day as well. So we pray that there would be a spiritual reformation in these dark days in which we live, where something would be done in the reviving of thy church and in the conversion of the law that can be credited only to the sovereign work of the God of heaven. So hear our prayers. And we would ask, O Lord, that at every, every moment that we are gathered here today, that our hearts would be sensitive to the presence of God, that our ears would be open to the word of God, that our wills would be responsive to that word, and that we would be doers and not just the hearers of it, how thankful we are for this day. So meet with us. Be pleased, Lord, with the meditations of our heart, for thou art our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To the Old Testament scriptures, to the prophecy of Ezekiel, chapter 37. Ezekiel 37, considering the first 10 verses, let us hear now the holy and inspired word of God. The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, prophesy 
to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. And thus ends the reading of God's holy word. Indeed, there's much in Ezekiel that is difficult to understand. But those that have taken the time to grapple with the message have always been benefited. But unhappily, there are many kooks that have been bemused themselves with Ezekiel, linking something in this book to something in the modern newspaper or some finding spaceships and aliens in those wheels that are going round in chapter one. But I suppose the old spirituals are more attuned to the real message of this book when they sang of those wheels going round and them bones, them bones, them dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And it is to this vision of the dry bones that I want to direct our attention this morning as we gather around God's holy word. I'm keenly aware that there are implications and applications in this particular chapter concerning Israel as a nation. Some of these have implications and applications that extend into that which is yet future from us. But notwithstanding those national implications and future references, I also believe in an everlasting gospel whose message and terms are the same in the future, in that eschatological future, as they were in the Old Testament and as they are for us. And there are great gospel lessons, significant gospel truths that we see in this vision of the dry bones. Teaches us, regardless of the dispensation, that no one enters into the kingdom of God apart from the new birth. No one enters into the kingdom of God apart from that regenerating work of the Spirit of God, unless they indeed are born again. The first birth determines 
our nationality. Our first birth determines our racial connections. But that first birth is not sufficient for anyone to enter into the kingdom of God. There must be. There must be the new birth. You must be born again. The dead have to be brought to life. And they're only brought to life by that supernatural, divine intervention of the Spirit of God. And in this vision of the Valley of Dry Bones, we have a picture of the everlasting gospel. We have a picture of what regeneration is. A picture of what it is to come from death to life. It's the power of the gospel. And it's only the power of the gospel that is sufficient to bring a sinner who is dead in his trespasses and his sins into spiritual life. What Paul declared when he said in Ephesians that we are dead in our trespasses and sins is what Ezekiel now is showing to us in this vision. A gospel message, and that's my very simple theme this morning, the gospel message that takes us from death to life. And there's just two very simple but yet far-reaching truths that I want us to isolate from this vision that we have read together. Two very simple but I say far-reaching truths. The first is this. Very obviously, that sinners are spiritually dead. Sinners are spiritually dead. That's the problem that defines the need that we have for the gospel. And what a desperate condition this death is. The Lord instructs Ezekiel to go into this valley, a valley that was full of these dry bones. What a dismal sight. Silent desolation, a picture of death could not be more vivid, dry bones. And as he sees this vision in vision, so it's just that which is internal as far as the prophet is concerned, but God was speaking to him, this is the word of the Lord to Ezekiel and now to us. And he sees these bones, and their bones are scattered. We're not talking about skeletons here and skeletons there. We're talking about a horde of scattered bones. There's leg bones there and arm bones there and skulls over there. The valley is just full of all of these dry bones. Bones that were scattered. Bones that had been picked clean by the vultures. Bones that had been whitened and bleached by the sun. What a picture, what a scene of utter, absolute deadness Ezekiel sees. These bones were not active. These bones were insensitive. These bones were oblivious to anything that was happening round about them. Inability of these bones to react to any stimuli that would be given to them. I said, what a picture. What a picture of death this is. Just a bunch of scattered, bleached, picked over, 
dry bones. But yet, what a vivid picture it is of sin deadened humanity as that humanity appears before God. Dead in sin. Dead because of sin. Sin is the cause of the spiritual death. Death is the sphere in which now the sinner exists, dead in sin. There is the effect of the fall upon the entirety of the human race, blind, sinners blind to the gospel. I think of that scene that we have in Jeremiah chapter 17, when Jeremiah compares the cursed man with the blessed man, and the cursed man, that one that... Ezekiel sees as, or Jeremiah sees rather, as just a stark little plant in the wilderness that is void of life and it's oblivious to the cooling breezes that may come by. So a sinner, absolutely oblivious, insensitive, unresponsive, even to the message of the gospel, oblivious. Paul puts it in these terms, that the natural man cannot perceive. He cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God because they are spiritually discerned. But sinners had no spiritual life. And sinners had no spiritual discernment. Sinners had no spiritual sight. What a picture. We know that life flows from the Lord. God is the fountain of all life. But to be separated from Him, and it is sin that separates man from God. And to be separated from God, there can be no life. Oh, I say, what a stark scene. What a stark scene that we have here. Bones. Dry bones. Scattered bones. But when we see those bones, we're to see what sinners are. If you're a believer here today, you're to see what once you were in the sight of God. Dead, spiritually insensitive, blind and cold, oblivious to any good. But this death presents a hopeless prospect. If anything is irreversible, it's death. Oh yes, we await that future resurrection, but until that resurrection, dead is dead. There's no reversing that. What a question. What a question then the Lord gives to Ezekiel. You see all those dry bones? Ezekiel. Can those bones live? Can they live? What a question. Such was the state of spiritual death that it appeared to be hopeless. It seemed to be out of the question that... Bones, scattered bones, not even knowing what went with those bones. What bones went together. What a picture of helplessness, of total inability. Supposition of life was absurd. And to answer that question by human reasoning, can those bones live? The answer is no. How could these bones live? They're void of life. There's nothing about them that even would hint of a life to come. 
human reasoning, I said, would have to be no, death is beyond recovery. But it's God that asked the question. Ezekiel, can these bones live? And rather than saying, no, Lord, how can these bones live? They're dead, there's no life. How does Ezekiel respond? Lord, you know. You know. What an answer. What an answer that was. The prophet knew that what was humanly impossible was not divinely impossible. And in many ways, here's the response of faith that Ezekiel is giving. The response of faith. If anyone else had asked that question, no, of course not. But it's God that asked the question, and Ezekiel says, Lord, you know. I would suggest that what Ezekiel is confessing in making that declaration corresponds to what the Apostle Paul says. Remember in Ephesians. Chapter 2, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. It describes in the corruption of those children of disobedience a hopeless and a helpless scene. But there's that transition that Paul makes. Dead in sins, yes. Dead in your trespasses, yes. But God. But God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy. And now this contrast between the power of God and the mercy of God against the sins that are so evident. God, who is rich in mercy, even when we were dead in sins, Paul says, has made us alive together with Christ. By nature, by nature, dead. By nature, unresponsive, oblivious to spiritual things. But grace transforms the sinner. And we see that as our next observation. Sinners are spiritually dead for sure. But here is the second and the primary focus of the text before us. That God imparts life. God imparts life. That's the focus. That's the focus particularly in verses 4 to 10. And we learn something about how God imparts that life. We're going to see something about the means. And we're going to see something about the end of God imparting life. We see first of all that. This life-giving work of God is preceded by evangelism. It's preceded by evangelism. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. That's the truth of the New Testament. That's the truth of the Old Testament. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And how will they hear? How will they hear except there be a preacher? And so in the means whereby God saves sinners, how does God save sinners? There's no salvation apart from the word of God. There is no coming to understanding the grace of God apart from the word of God. And so God in his grace reveals his word. And God in his grace will send forth those messengers of his word. Those preachers, those evangelists. And not talking here just about the one that stands behind a pulpit. 
talking about those that will share the gospel. There must be faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And even in this strange vision that we have before us, we have that truth being revealed to us, the sounding forth of the general call of the gospel, a command to preach. Ezekiel, here's what I want you to do. I want you to preach. The word prophesy here is not talking about predicting the future just. The word prophesying is used in multiple ways in the Old Testament scriptures. It does refer to predictive uh, prophecy, for sure. It refers elsewhere to the giving of thanks and praise unto the Lord. And it also simply refers to the declaration, the proclamation of the word, to preach the word, if you will. And that's the sense in which the word is occurring in this context. Verse 4, the Lord said to me, preach to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Ezekiel commanded to do some strange things. One of the odd things about Ezekiel's ministry are the strange things sometimes that God instructed the prophet to do. When he called Ezekiel to be a prophet, said, here you're going to be preaching, thus saith the Lord. Now here are these scrolls. I want you to eat those scrolls. Kind of strange. Told him one time, I want you to lie down. And then you go where people can see you, and for 390 days, I want you to lie down on your left side. And when those 390 days are done, I want you to flip over onto your right side and lie down for 40 more days. Strange. Another time he says, I want you to get outside the city there and take some building blocks and just make a model of the city. Playing with some toys, as it were, seemingly. Cut your hair. And when you cut your hair, I want you to take a third of it and burn it, take a third of it and throw it to the wind, scatter it. I say there are all the way through Ezekiel's ministry some strange things, some odd things that God had the prophet to do. But I would think that of all of the strange things that God instructed Ezekiel to do, the strangest, preach to those bones. You see those bones? Those bones that are scattered all over, bones that are lifeless and dead and insensitive to anything that they, they can't hear, they can't speak, they can't see. But Ezekiel, I want you to preach to those bones. Strange. If men are dead... If men are dead, why preach? If men are incapable of responding to God's word, why preach? Why preach? Well, God has commanded us to give sinners the call of life. And if salvation, if salvation indeed is the work of God, then we must faithfully do his declared will, and preach the word. The gospel is for dead sinners. The gospel is for dead sinners. And we are to preach. It's a sense, I suppose, in which every time a minister stands behind the sacred desk, 
There's the potential, anyway, of his preaching to dry bone. Those that are insensitive, those that cannot understand, but yet this is the command of God that we must, we must preach to dry bones. Those that have no life, but we declare to them in theological terms, in theological terms, we're talking about what is referred to as the general call of the gospel. As the gospel goes forth to all men, God commands all men everywhere to repent, to believe. The gospel message goes out freely to all, to hear. It's not for us. It's not for us to select those that we think are worthy of hearing the gospel. It's not for us to make a discrimination as to, well, you can hear it, you can't hear it. No. Indiscriminately. Indiscriminately. The message of the gospel goes forth. God commands men everywhere to repent. Zeke, I want you to preach to those dry bones. A command. And you make it clear that this business of salvation is the work of God. God is the source of life. See that in verse 5. It's the source of life. In verse 6, God is the restorer of life. And all the way through, you see the divine activity, the divine initiative. Can you, can, can you see that? I will cause breath. God's speaking now. I will cause breath. Here's what you preach, Ezekiel. You tell them the Lord says, I will cause breath to enter you. I will put flesh on your bones. I will, I will, I will. This is the work of God. It's not for us. It's not for us. But here's the divine initiative that makes this gospel message certain. There's no maybe in the gospel. When God does what he does, when God puts breath, when God puts flesh, when God puts breath, you'll live. There's an irresistible connection there between what God does and the con- God never fails in what his purpose is. There's no maybe in the gospel. The gospel is not positive thinking. The gospel is not self-determination. There's no hope there. There's no hope in self-effort. The gospel is in what God does. So you preach. Ezekiel, I want you to preach to those dry bones. But we see something about where the power comes too, don't we? So I prophesied. I prophesied as I commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And suddenly a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And the sinews came, and the flesh came, and the skin covered them. What a sight, what a startling sight that had to be. Preaches, and as he preaches, there's a movement now. Those bones that were so dead, oblivious, those bones now start to move. And there's a shaking. And there's a rattling. And it's as though the skull bone looks and says, where's my arm and where's my ribs? And, and now these bones start to come together, bone to bone, comes together. Them bones, them bones, them dry bones. Let us hear the word of the Lord. And now these bones come together. And as he's preaching, he sees those bones coming together. And as the skeleton is then formed, here comes the muscles and here comes the skin I can well imagine 
I can well imagine that when Ezekiel saw what was happening as a preaching, he said to himself, boy, this is a good sermon. This is a good sermon. I'm really, I really got it today. Look at, what the, look at the responses I'm getting. These are dead bones in my preachings, putting these bones together. This is really a good sermon. I've got it today. Yeah. Came together for sure. But there was no life. There was no life. There was no breath. Oh, preaching. This is a sobering word to ministers and all that share the word. It's possible through preaching to convince you to do certain things or stop doing certain things. It's possible in preaching to get you to transform your life this way or that way. Yeah. But there's no power in preaching in and of itself, in the minister who preaches to impart life. Oh, we can maybe make you look better on the outside, but there's no giving of life. There's no giving of life. But we preach the word. All we can do is preach the word. All we can do is spread the gospel. It's all we can do. It's all we can do. But the results, the results of the preaching are not in the hands or the eloquence or the logic of the preacher. It's in God and that becomes clear. For this spiritual life is accomplished by the Spirit. Ezekiel, you preach and these bones are together now. It doesn't look as bad as it once did. It's not as forlorn as once it was. Now there there are what looks to be people there. Oh, they're sleeping, they're napping, but but there's no life. There's no life. You preach. Now you preach to the breath. Verse 9, he said to me, prophesy, preach to the breath. Prophesy, O son of man. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. The breath. Let me define this word here. It's an interesting word. This word breath, and it's a legitimate use of this Hebrew word. But it's also the Hebrew word that refers to wind. Same word. Sometimes breath. Sometimes wind. And it's also the same word that refers to spirit. It's the word that refers to the spirit of man, that animating principle within the life of man. But it's also the word that refers to the Holy Spirit of God. So is it breath? Is it spirit? Is it wind? Who is it that Ezekiel now is addressing? New King James translates it as breath. I think the King James translates it as wind. If I were translating it, I would translate it as spirit. 
It's the Spirit of God that's involved here. It's the Spirit of God. This life-giving agent. This life-giving agent is the Spirit of God. Here's the effectual call. What we have described for us now in verses 9 and 10 would be the effectual call. The general call goes forth to all, but the general call does not impart life, but the effectual call, that effectual grace, as Calvinists, yeah, we often talk about irresistible grace, irresistible grace, effectual call that when God imparts life into the heart of a dead sinner, there is life. There is no resisting. There is no resisting. When God makes alive, you can't say, no, 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 I want to stay dead. When God imparts life, there is life. There is an irresistibility. That's the effectual call of the gospel, the application of grace to the life. So he's commanded here to preach to the Spirit. And the Spirit comes. And when the Spirit came, when the Spirit came, now those corpses, now they're corpses, they weren't bone, but now they're corpses, became alive. Does that not remind you of creation? God took the dust of the earth, formed Adam. And there was Adam, looking like Adam was going to look. But there was no breath, there was no life in Adam. There was no life in Adam until God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became a living being. He became a living entity. But not until that special breath. This is what distinguishes man from the rest of creation. When God made all the other creatures and the creeping things, there was life as soon as God said, let them be. But God made man using the dust of the earth, and there was no life until now this special intervention of the breath of God. He breathed into his nostrils, and Adam became a living being. And so it is. So it is in the second creation. So it is in the new creation. Dead in sins. But now God breathes. He breathes into that heart, that spiritual heart of the sinner. And where there was death, there was now life. Oh, what a picture of regeneration we have here. What a picture of the new birth we have here. Regeneration, when we have that special and that supernatural implanting of the life principle within the heart of a dead soul. And there is life. When the Spirit of God implants life, there is life. When the Spirit of God breathes into the dead sinner, there is going to be spiritual breath. God implants it. Becomes the work of faith, an invisible work, a mysterious work, not without significance that this word that is used for the Spirit. And, and, and in the New Testament, by the way, the word for Spirit in the New Testament has the same range of function that this Hebrew word has. It refers to the Holy Spirit, to the Spirit of man, to the wind, to breath very elastic term. And remember when, when, when Jesus 
when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about the new birth, you must be born again. Unless you're born of the Spirit, unless you're born of the Spirit, there's no entrance into the kingdom of God. There must be that spiritual life. And Christ then compares the work of the Spirit to the wind. The wind blows this way, the wind blows that way. You can't see the wind. You can't see the wind, but what you, you know the effects of the wind. You know the effects of the wind. You see the trees that are swaying. You see uh, the rain that now becomes horizontal as the wind blows. You, can see, you can't see the wind, but the effects of the wind are so very obvious. And so it is. I can't see the work of the Spirit of God. You can't see the Spirit. You can't see that invisible, that mysterious, that supernatural work of the Spirit of God implanting life. But the consequences of it, the consequences of it are going to be obvious. There's faith. There's repentance. Those are the evidences. Faith and repentance is not the cause. You understand this. Faith and repentance is not the cause of spiritual life. It is the consequence of spiritual life. Because God has made the heart alive. Oh, now, now there's belief. And now there's repentance. It's the consequence. That's the irresistible consequence of the Spirit of God breathing in to the dead sinner. And when that breath comes, there's life. Well, it's miraculous. It's irresistible. It's a powerful life, and you can see the effects. Now, this, these dry bones, they stand up a great army. They're, they're alive, and they're ready to work, and they're ready to serve. And so it is. And so it is that this, in the spiritual realm, and we, we tr- tr- take the vision. This is just an illustration But it's an illustration of the gospel. Sinners dead, they need life. And the only way that life can come is as the Spirit of God implants that spiritual life into the heart of the sinner. So the sinner, I don't know your spiritual conditions. If you're here a day a sinner, there's hope. There is hope. There is a hope to the way of life. So don't despair. You don't have to work up something because you can't. You're dead. Those are dry bones. They can't do anything. But when God takes a notion, when God exercises that eternal notion of his to save the sinner, the Spirit comes. And the Spirit enables that faith and that repentance. So the sinner, we tell sinners in the general call, come. Just come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and welcome. And as the sinner comes, then, understanding that it is not his own will that was exercised independent, and all, it was God coming and God drawing. There's a song, I don't, I, I don't know if it's in this hymnal or not. I sought the Lord. You know this one? I sought the Lord. And afterward I knew it was the Lord who sought me, seeking him. You seek the Lord. You seek the Lord. And then when you find the Lord, then you will know 
that yes, it was the Lord that initiated. It was the Lord that gave the spiritual life. It was the Lord that impelled irresistibly by his grace to bring us to himself. So there's hope for sinners. And there's a message here for saints as well to remember. It is good for us to remember the pit from which we were dug. To remember our misery. To remember that once we were nothing but a bone here and a bone there. But God has called us. And the Spirit of God has regenerated the heart and has given spiritual life. Whereby now we understand some things of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God transformed us. Not only from dead bones but now to his servant. Those that can be engaged in telling others of this powerful gospel. Ezekiel, strange vision. But these bones were to hear the word of the Lord. And so it is. And so it is that we give the word. Don't be hesitant in your workplace, in your family. Don't be hesitant. Don't be reluctant to declare to sinners the word of the Lord by your life and by your word. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And as odd as it may be, you can say, oh, they're too bad. That sinner is too great. God saves great sinners. Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. May God help us. May God help us as believers to be thankful for the transformation that came to us by the grace of God and be moved to share that message with others. To dry bones. Amen. O Lord, O Lord, we come with thanksgiving for the word of God. The word that is rich, a word that is powerful, a word that is life-giving, as it is accompanied by the Spirit of God. As we reflect upon this strange scene of a valley full of bones, that we might look beyond the symbolism to see the gospel realities of the power of saving grace by the Spirit of God. Receive our thanks, O Lord, for thy word to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.